Welcome to the study of God's Word with pastor and author Ed Taylor, recorded live at Calvary Church in Aurora, Colorado. To learn more about the many resources available through Abounding Grace Media or to tune into our live stream services, visit us online at calvaryco.church or download our free Calvary Church app. Now here's Pastor Ed to take us into our study. Amen. Amen. Take your Bibles, open them to Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12. As we look today at the final spiritual gift mentioned in Romans 12, the gift of mercy. And I want you to be reminded today that these seven motivational spiritual gifts are given to believers to impact a lost and dying world. I don't want you to forget the primary significance of these gifts is for God to use you to reach the world. Sometimes the, the Christians, we get confused that everything is just for us and everything's for our little holy huddle and for the church. And while we do get to enjoy these gifts, the intention of the gifts is for the world, that God would use you and me in the world. And as the gifts are operating in and through us, I also want you to remember that they represent the fullness of Jesus Christ on the earth today, all seven of them. So what that means is as the seven gifts are operated, it would be as if Jesus was here ministering as well, except through us, not necessarily from him, but now he's through us. And we become, in a very literal way, the arms of his love and the mouths that speak his truth and the feet that carry the gospel into a lost and dying world. One other thing before we get in. I know by now, as everyone that I've talked to, there are some of you that say, you know what, Ed, I relate to all the gifts, and I'm not sure which one is primary. I relate to them all. I think I have them all. Well, it is very possible that you do operate in all the gifts. That's not unusual. However, there is one primary spiritual gift that God has given to you. And if you don't know by now, I'm asking you to ask God to reveal that. Because all the other gifts take a supporting role of how God made you. So they support you, and you don't just kind of jump from gift to gift. You are who God gifted you, and then these other gifts help to enhance how God wants to use you in the body. Because we don't want you in the wrong place. You don't want to be in the wrong place. You want to be operating exactly where God has you. So with that in mind, let's review Romans chapter 12. Notice with me again, verse 6. Paul writes, Having then gifts differing according to the grace that's given to us, let us use them. If prophecy, let us prophesy in proportion to our faith. Ministry, let us use it in our ministering. <clears throat> he who teaches in teaching. He who exhorts in exhortation. He who gives with liberality, we learned last time, he who leads with diligence, and today, he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. Let love be without hypocrisy. We've been defining these gifts in a couple different ways. One way is we've taken a verb and we've attached it to the truth. Because if the gifts are going to highlight the life and times of Jesus Christ, remember Jesus is the truth embodiment the embodiment of the truth. And so we've used different words, different verbs to, do, to attach to the gifts. So by way of review, remember, prophecy is declaring the truth. Ministry and service is practicing the truth. Teaching is explaining the truth. Exhortation is applying the truth. Giving is supporting the truth. Leading is organizing the truth. And today, the gift of mercy we learn is ministering the truth in a very practical way. It's a very practical, personal gifting that connects people with people. But again, let's just pause for a second and look at the activity of the church today. Consider the activity of the church today related to the truth, what the world needs. Declaring, practicing, explaining, applying, supporting, organizing, ministering. I guess you could say it this way. If you want to see the living out of the truth, it's going to be lived out in one of these seven ways, and of course, sometimes in more than these ways. So the gift of mercy, the gift of mercy. Let's give a simple definition. Mercy means literally to 
show or extend mercy or compassion. And you're going to see those words connected many times, mercy and compassion. The general meaning is to have compassion or mercy on a person in their very unhappy circumstances. To show mercy, to have compassion on other people's lives in their very unhappy circumstances. And so this gift refers to those who are gifted by God to serve others in their time of need, where you have a deep connection of empathy and compassion. The gift of mercy is a very empathetic gift. Now, by now you know, and if you don't, I'll share with you today for the very first time, the distinct difference between sympathy and empathy. Most people operate in the realm of sympathy, no problem. And sympathy could be defined as this, I feel bad for you. I feel bad for you. And that's a, a, an emotion that's expressed where you see pain and difficulty, it, it hurts you, and your response is, I feel bad for you. Empathy goes a little bit deeper and builds upon sympathy. When you're empathetic, you're not only feeling bad for someone, listen, you're also feeling bad with them, where you're connected at that pain point. And so empathy is a big part of this gifting of mercy. It's a gift of connection and edification, where God uses you to connect with someone in their pain to encourage them and build them up. Here's the bigger definition. God has given some men and women in the church the supernatural ability to come alongside others to help encourage, build up, and help them in tough times. And so a person with the gift of mercy are men and women that are moved by human need. They tend to be moved to bring healing, deliverance, and even help restore someone with a relationship with the Lord and with others. They often identify, if you have this gift, you often identify with people who are hurting and you step into their life, listen, very carefully and tenderly. And you're very sensitive to the wounded and to those that are bruised and beat up. You may even see people like this around the church. You may look at them like just in this room, you might watch them walking around and then you, you look away and then two seconds later you look back and where are they? What happened to them? where they're sitting down with someone, crying with them, praying with them, have their arm around them because they're naturally looking for and attached to human need. These, those men and women with this gifting often identify with merciful care and are very keenly sensitive to suffering and sorrow. People with this gift have a keen ability to see misery and to feel misery. And they're very keen to watch countenances, you know, how you, somebody's face looks or body language and quickly go over to follow up and see if they're doing okay. Those with the gift of mercy, again, as I mentioned, are very empathetic. They feel people's hurts with them. You know, there's a fancy word that we use theologically when it comes to the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. You might hear it said this way, that Jesus Christ, we enjoy a vicarious atonement through Jesus. And that's just a very fancy way of saying that Jesus Christ died in place of you and me, vicariously. That his death and resurrection was vicarious. That means what he did, he did in our place. That's just the simple definition. Well, it's a very good word. And it's an important word when it comes to this gift of mercy because vicarious in this definition of being in place of, the person with the gift of mercy will often in, they vicariously or in place of experience the troubles that other people are going through so that the sight and thought of people hurting makes them hurt. And the hurt that they're feeling is real. They actually have a word for that, a phrase for that. Many people with the gift of mercy have what they call sympathetic pain. Have you ever heard that phrase before? Sympathetic pain. And what it means is, is that when you step into someone's life that's hurting, you start to hurt like it's happened to you. But it didn't happen to you. It's not your problem. It's not your difficulty. But as you step in in their lives, you feel it so deeply 
that it actually feels like it happened to you. And that's a very common thing with those in this gifting. Now, if you have the gift of mercy, not only do we have sympathy, but empathy, and it's very easy for the person with this gifting to weep with those who weep. You may even be more sensitive to crying at the drop of a hat or tearing up at things or having a more sensitivity to your feelings. People might even put you down for that or make fun of you, but don't let them. Don't receive it. Don't even accept it because this is a gifting God gave to you so that you would be in the world and feel pain because in your feeling of pain, you're then able to express the kind of help that people need. With the gift of mercy, you're very tuned into your feelings. Yet that's the realm in which you live. And God often uses this as a way of working through you to minister to his children and to this world. But it also comes in your life with a feeling of like you need to be loved and you need to be appreciated and you want to be recognized for all that you've done within the body. And it's for this reason, wounded, emotionally hurting people have a magnetic attraction to those with the gift of mercy. They're drawn to you but you're also drawn to them. The Holy Spirit then entrusts to you care over people's lives to lead them away from you to the very cross of Christ. Get them to Jesus. People with the men, men and women with the gift of mercy are often what we would call the compassionate ones. And that seems to be compassion is a big part of their lives. And because of this, the down and out, not just the deeply hurting and wounded, but the down and out have a tendency to be magnetically attracted to you. Not just down and out people, but down and out dogs and cats and even birds with broken wings seem to find people with the gift of mercy. Where, where you, can't just, you can't help but, you know, if I saw a bird with a broken wing, I'm sorry, bro, I'm too bad. See you later. But you, oh, take it home. I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to hand feed you. I'm going to take care of that. Fly away, bird. Fly away. And that's just how you're made. By the way, it reminded me, we have new birds back at our house. Unlike anything we've ever had, these two birds think that they own our light on the front porch. We don't have a very big front porch, just a couple steps. There's not much to it, but there's a light up in the corner, and they think it's their bathroom. No joke. I'm just, I'm just emoting right now. I'm feeling bad talking about birds. I'm not a big fan of birds. I'm not a big fan of these two birds because they are literally using my front porch as their bathroom. And they don't give me a chance to talk to them because they fly away and they get upset. Okay, I'll get on. But if you haven't been here for a while, you know that every animal in our neighborhood thinks they own my house. They don't pay the rent, the mortgage. They don't pay the electric bill, but they sure do take advantage of it. Like, anyway, let's come back to the gift. I'm not very merciful toward them. Did I ever tell you about the woodpecker? The most annoying bird on the planet Earth? He's just like the devil, that woodpecker. He's just like the devil. And I'm sure you've experienced it, where he just hits the same place constantly, 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 constantly. Then he leaves. And you're like, good riddance. Get out of here. Don't come back. I'm going to change my address but they've got some kind of homing thing in them. And remember what happened to Jesus? Remember what happened to Jesus? The devil left him after he tempted him for another opportune time. So wouldn't you know it? Something in that woodpecker, they could go to any neighborhood. Everybody's getting new roofs in the neighborhood, new stuff up there, and they come back to our house. But the enemy's like that. So maybe the Lord just has this as an illustration to remind you that the enemy's going to hit the same place over and over and over again in your life. Then he's going to leave. And you're going to think, oh, I made it through. And then he's coming back. And we need to stand in the righteousness of Christ, putting on all of the armor of God, that we might resist the schemes of the devil. How's that for an illustration from birds? It just came to me right now. So good. So anyway, broken down birds, they come to you um, because you love them. 
You love them. I, I had a brother come up after service, first service. He goes, oh, that happened to me. I think I, I was doing some construction and some baby birds fell between the, the drywall and the siding. And what did I do? He took them out, nursed them in health and had them fly away. I'm like, man, me? I look at the birds. I'm sorry, guys. We're finishing the house. And some of you mercy people are very mad at me right now. I'm like, how could you do that? I do operate in this gift. Don't misunderstand me. But it's not my primary gift. You know, when people with the gift of mercy, coming back to our definitions, um, when people with the gift of mercy watch, are watching television, they see an ad of a third world, company, uh, third world uh, ministry in the third world with orphans, their heart, your heart immediately goes and goes, I wish I could adopt all of them. I want to go out and see it with myself. I'd like to feed them. I'd like to take care of them. I'd like to take them all into my house. Because it's this gifting of mercy that motivates you to minister and serve. Not only that, but many missionaries are sent out from the gift, with the gift of mercy. Many pastors have the gift of mercy where they have a desire to serve people. Many times, men and women with this gifting, many times men and women with this gifting will go into a career path known as the caring professions where they'll go specifically into professions that connect them with other people and render care and aid. Things like nursing, dentistry, uh, you know, um, doctors, th things that would social work, even pastors. They, they are moving in because they want to help people. And that's what gives you joy, serving people. It, it fulfills you and encourages you. And typically, those with the gift of mercy would be known as the modern-day Good Samaritans, and we'll get to that in a moment. But just something tugs at you every time you see a homeless person, every time you pass a traffic accident, every time you see someone asking for money, it tugs at you to step into their lives and see if you can't relieve all, some or all of their pain. So number two, we're following the same pattern. How did this gift operate? in the life of Jesus, well, this is probably one of the most remarkable, one of the most obvious ways that God operates on the, on the earth today is in the realm of mercy. I, I want you to just step back and consider for a moment the initiation of God's love towards you. Instead of giving human beings the judgment they rightly deserve, God was moved by love to send his only begotten son into the world to die for you on your behalf. You deserve judgment, but God gave you mercy. And on top of that, even gave you grace. Remember, these three words always go together. Remember them. They're foundational to your understanding of the character and nature of God. These three words, judgment, mercy, and grace. They always go together. The definition of judgment, well, judgment's very easy. You get what you deserve. When you receive judgment, you get exactly what you deserve. You could say that it's lived out where you sow, you reap what you sow. You're going to get, you're going to get what you deserve, judgment. Mercy is defined as not getting what you deserve. So you deserve it, but you're not going to experience it. I think everyone that's ever been convicted of a crime, standing before a judge, and they're just like, yeah, I know what I did, judge. It was wrong. I wish I would have never done that. But you don't see anybody double my sentence. Yeah, just give me double. No, what do they cry out for? Mercy. Please show mercy to me. I don't ever want to do this again. I wish I never did it to begin with. But show mercy to me. Why? Because you don't want what you deserve. And then third, the third word is grace. And grace is getting what you don't deserve. Like that, that is above and beyond. It's not just the withholding of something, but it is not, it is not, it, it is getting more than you would ever deserve. And you see this throughout the life of Jesus, especially highlighted is in his ministry of healing. You see mercy and compassion again. Let me show you one of them. Turn over to Matthew chapter 20, would you please? Matthew chapter 20. And let's look at this together. Matthew chapter 20. When you get there, go to verse 29 with me. And let's notice this. And if you like to write in your Bibles, be ready to take some notes. And I do think you should have a paper Bible. I think you should use it, carry it with you. 
Um, it's hard to write, you know, and do this all on your tablet or your phone. I get those as tools, but you need a Bible. You need your own Bible because there's just an authority in this book. So notice Matthew chapter 20, verse 29. It says, Now as they departed from Jericho, a great multitude followed him. And behold, two blind men sitting by the road, when they heard that Jesus was passing by, cried out saying, have, what does your Bible say? Have mercy. What are they asking for? Mercy. They, they want something they don't deserve. They, they want to no longer have to live with blindness. Show mercy on us, O Lord, son of David. And the multitude warned them that they should be quiet. But they cried out all the more. Have mercy on us, O Lord, son of David. So Jesus stood still and called them. And what do you want me to do for you? Now, of course, I don't think Jesus said it that way. I think he said it with mercy. I think he said it with a palpable mercy. While they couldn't see him, I think they could feel this. I think they could feel the care and the pause of our Savior here. And they told him in verse 33, open our eyes. That's what we want. And says the very response of Jesus to the blind men was this. Jesus had compassion on them. Touched their eyes. So if you like to write in your Bibles, go back to verse 30, circle the word mercy. You might even want to circle in verse 31, mercy. And then down in verse 34, compassion. And just write lines between those. They're all connected. Mercy and compassion. Mercy and compassion. So needed. How did this operate in the life of the early church? Well, again, the early church is moving forward in mercy and compassion all throughout their lives and ministry as the gospel is going forth. But let me show you one in particular, one that we already studied back in Acts chapter 3. Would you turn there with me? Acts chapter 3. This is after the baptism of the Holy Spirit. They're walking in the newness of life, the empowering of the Spirit. They're walking in as witnesses now. It's very different than it was before. And they're going up to the temple beginning in verse 1. It says, Peter and John went together to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour, which I think they did many, 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 many times before. But today is different because God is going to operate in their life among many gifts, but one of them is they're going to be very merciful here because they're not going to walk by him again. They're going to interact with him. They stop and they pause and they make eye contact and they directly minister to this guy. Notice, a certain man lame from his mother's womb was carried there laid daily, asking for alms. Verse 3, he asked Peter and John. Verse 4, they fix his eyes on him with John, and they say, look at us. And he gave them his attention. They, he thought he was going to get something. <clears throat> and then Peter says, silver and gold, I do not have, but what I have, I'm going to give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And in mercy, they just didn't go up to prayer they just didn't go up with the regular routine. It's different. They pause. They stop. They care. And they step into this guy's life. And he experiences healing that he had never had in his entire life. In Colossians chapter 3, in verse 12, it says, Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies, something we're to ask for, and operate in kindness, meekness, long-suffering. It is so needed in the world today. It's not just needed in the church. It is. But it's so needed in the world. To what mercy looks like and humility and meekness. I mentioned earlier the Good Samaritan, uh, the parable that Jesus gave. Would you turn there with me in Luke's Gospel, chapter 10? I think it's worth our time looking at the Good Samaritan and just learn how Jesus taught through. There's a lot of different lessons that Jesus is teaching here. The neglect of the priests, uh, the idea that people that you might write off, like the Samaritan who was looked down upon, who was uh, treated with racial, pr racial prejudice and on and on. He's the one. He's the hero. He's the one that everyone looks down upon, but the one that God uses. I mean, there's lesson after lesson after lesson here, but one of the lessons, I think, with the Good Samaritan is an illustration of mercy. What does mercy look like? So notice with me uh, in verse 30 of Luke chapter 10. 
Jesus answered and said, A certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among thieves, who stripped him of his clothing, wounded him, departed, leaving him half dead. So he's in bad shape physically. He got, he's ripped off, and he's beaten close to death and then abandoned. You know, while we may not meet many people in this physical condition, we do meet a lot of people in this spiritual condition. We do meet a lot of people in this emotional condition. A lot of hurting, beat up, wounded men and women filled with all kinds of traumas and difficulties and hardships, families that have abandoned them, spouses that have abandoned them, churches that have abandoned them, just left them on the side of the road to die. And this is an instructful parable for us that would help us to understand God's heart, that, that we're to respond with mercy. Notice what happens in verse 31. The guy's in bad shape. So what happens? A certain priest comes down the road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. And then a Levite came, and when he arrived there, he looked and passed by on the other side. But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had, read it with me, he had compassion on him. There's that word again. Wherever you see compassion, you know mercy moved him. Whenever there's compassion, it comes from mercy. And mercy builds compassion. And here he is. He went to him, verse 34. So, so mercy and compassion are not merely emotions. We're going to get to some dangers in a moment. But, but they're not merely emotions. They're emotions that move you to do something about it. They're emotions that move you to alleviate that pain. And notice what he does. He went to him, he bandaged his wounds, poured oil and wine, set him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, took care of him. And on the next day when he left, he took out two denarii and gave it to the innkeeper and said, look, you take care of him until he's done. You take care of him, whatever you spend, when I come back, I'll repay you. And so which of these three, Jesus said, do you think was neighbor to him who fell among the thieves. And he said, he who showed mercy on him, then Jesus said, you go and do likewise. I want to give you an insight here you maybe have never seen. Never seen. Remember, during this time, these last few years, we've been learning the importance of loving our neighbor. Whether it's through the pandemic and all the opinions, we love our neighbor. With all the racial tension and prejudice, we love our neighbor. With the difficulties of politics and everybody's opinion, we love our neighbor. And we've learned during this time that we have a convenient way of getting out of that, and that's by labeling people. If we can just call somebody something other than our neighbor, then something happens in our flesh. Well, you know, we don't have to love those kind of people. And we don't have to love that kind of situation. And it's just a perversity. It's like a twistedness of our flesh that has no place in the, in the church. We need to walk in the Spirit, not fulfill the lust of the flesh. And so here, the word neighbor is used in the English, the word neighbor. And I want you to associate what Jesus is saying here. That the demonstration of loving your neighbor is tied together with mercy and compassion. And the way that I apply that here when I'm interviewing someone coming on our team, or we, I'll, ask them a question, I'll ask them the question about having a pastor's heart and anything. And what I'm listening for is that they care. Because if you don't care, then, then why are you here? Like, what do you want to serve here for? If you don't care about God and you don't care about people, then why would you think serving here is going to be something you want to do? Everything that happens in the church representing Jesus is caring for others. The wounded, the beat up, those left by the wayside, those that have been dealt a harsh blow in life. He says, which one is the neighbor? Is it the priestly one that walks right by and doesn't care? He sees it, doesn't act on it. Is it the Levite that goes and comes upon him and goes, oh, you know, I'm going to cross the street. I don't want to be anywhere near this. So it's not even just operating in the gift of mercy, but it's also, do we care? Because that's going to be the open door for the Spirit of God to get you into other people's lives so you can speak of an even greater care. 
the care of God, who is motivated by love, to send his only begotten son to die, to forgive you and me of my sins. And that's where we learn here. You want to learn caring, you find somebody that's already caring and watch their gift of mercy in action. And you'll see, they won't just feel, they'll also act. Now, with all that in mind, like the other studies, there are some dangers. So I want you to be ready for some risks and dangers for someone that has this gift. I don't want you to confuse these risks and dangers like personality types. They're not personality types. They're true, bona fide dangers that you need to watch out for. So in no particular order, number one, a person with the gift of mercy can be an overly sensitive person. An overly sensitive person. Because you live more on the level of your feelings than most people, you have a tendency to become too sensitive and to be hurt too easily. And you want to watch out for this because it'll make you unusable. It's vital that you learn. And again, this, the, the folks that I get to serve and disciple and now right here, I, this is what I tell them. I tell them all the time and now I'm telling you. You need to learn how to grow a thick skin while maintaining a soft heart. It's essential when you're ministering to other people. I mean, that's true for anything, right? If you're dealing with customers all day, they're just like, get a thick skin because it's not going to get any easier. But don't lose your care and concern. And you know what happens? The exact opposite happens, actually. Many people, if they're not watching and being careful, they'll have a, they'll, they'll have a soft skin and have a hard heart. And so everything bothers them. Every little thing. They're upset about everything. And their heart gets hard, heart gets hard, heart. And before you know it, they're, they're just mean people that are upset with everything that's going on. And it's, you got to flip that around. You have to have a thick skin. Because people are going to hurt you. You're going to be wounded. It's going to be hard. And we need to learn how not to let everything bother us so much. Number two. If you have the gift of mercy, you need to be careful that you don't live only by your feelings. You can't live only by your feelings. The danger is that because you are in tune with your feelings and you do operate with your feelings, I mean, if you think about it, if you have the gift of mercy, you have a dip, deeper level of feeling. So I, can, I, can, I might even be able to discern in your life by the, your language because you usually say things, well, you know, I feel that this is the best thing to do or I feel that that's not right or I feel like I should come over and talk to you. You're just describing what we would all describe, but you're describing it because you're in touch with your feelings. However, because you're so in touch with your feelings, you can make the sinful decisions to live by your feelings, and that will be disastrous. You need to learn how to not live based on your feelings, but rather on wisdom, biblical knowledge, and the leading of the Holy Spirit. It's important to learn that though you've been gifted with heightened awareness of your own feelings, you can't live by them alone. Isn't that what the Bible says? We live by faith, not by sight. We live by faith, not by feelings. You could say the same thing. We need to learn to trust in the Lord. You see, for the person that does live more by their feelings and based upon their feelings, another thing you need to watch out for with the gift of mercy is that you're going to be more in the realm of discouragement Depression and despondency because it's all about your feelings and you're dealing with all this hurt and you just got to watch out for it because the people you're called to, to serve, you need to get in their lives from the outside and while you're connecting with them, their problem is not your problem and you have to be super careful because you could get all caught up in the emotion of it all and give bad counsel. You can give counsel that's based on emotion and not by the word of God. And you think that's going to help somebody? It's going to make their life worse. But you're just caught up in it all. You, another danger with emotions is you get easily overcome by emotions. You may be prone to be thinking that as long as you feel good about something, then it's okay. Well, you know, and you'll hear this. You'll hear people say, well, you don't have a peace about it. You cannot have a peace about sinning. Did you know that? I didn't hear an amen on that, but I think I set you up pretty well. I'm going to try it again. You cannot have a peace about sinning. Good, I agree with you. Amen. 
You, you can't have a peace about sinning. So don't give that nonsense. Well, I just feel like it's okay. It's not okay. And you've got to be careful of that because we know this to be true. Feelings are real. And they can be overwhelming, but they don't always tell you the truth. And they can lead you to some really bad behaviors. I was thinking of an illustration, you know, in the last few years, they, they, you've seen some on YouTube, you've seen on Instagram, maybe even television shows of these fail videos. Have you seen those fail videos? And so you're watching a fail video. I'll tell you what they are if you don't know about them. The guy's riding his skateboard, he hits a rock, boom, falls on his face. Straight up, all his teeth fall out. And part of the way they frame it all, if you're not careful, you'll laugh at it. Now, it is nothing to laugh at. The dude fell on his face and spit all his teeth out, but it provoked in us an emotion. Ha, ha, ha. Oh, not so ha, ha. And you have a strong emotion that's not consistent with the situation. And a fail video really isn't going to get you into too much trouble. But if you have a motion that is inconsistent with the situation, you're going to give bad counsel, bad discipleship. So we have to remember to yield to the Lord with our emotions. Not to get rid of them or deny them or push them down, but to yield them to the Lord. In 2 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 4, it says, For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for the pulling down of strongholds, casting down arguments, and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. And then this, bringing every thought. Now thoughts are often generated, if you're in tune with your feelings, your thought life is often informed by your feelings. So bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. So be very careful with your feelings. Number three, number three, if you have the gift of mercy, you want to be careful. And this is kind of counterintuitive. Because it goes against the, nat- the, the personality of a person with this gifting. But listen, be careful of this. With the gift of mercy, you can develop a real critical spirit about you. A real critical spirit. And because you're tuned into how people feel, and because you really care and want to minister to them, you will struggle with overreacting to people that don't see things the same way you see them. I'll give you an example. You're ministering to someone... And your approach is, man, we need to be kind to them. We need a a soft answer turns away wrath. I'm going to walk with them through the long haul. And then your buddy, who has the gift of prophecy, is ministering to the same person. And their approach is, stop sinning. What's your problem? I can't believe it. Why are you still struggling with this? And you're like, dude, calm down. Relax. Leave them alone. And now before you know it, you're arguing with your friend over how to serve them when God actually wants you guys to do it together. Your friend needs to hear your soft approach. And that brother you're ministering to also needs to hear the more stern word. The gifts are not in competition with one another. They complement one another. But because, you, because that person that you might be serving with, the gift of prophecy perhaps or exhortation, isn't so in tune with their feelings, they might. They just might be doing it in a different way. You get upset with them. and How dare you? You're so stern. Be kind. So listen, if that's a scenario... The person with the gift of exhortation or prophecy certainly can do it more mercifully, yes. But they're not going to change. They're going to be direct. That's a gift that God gave them. And the person with mercy, maybe you need to be less emotional and give a stronger word sometimes. And that's how we work together in the body. Number four. Oh, by the way, one of the things you might be upset with too is church discipline. Church discipline. Just in case you didn't know, you are in a church that believes the Bible We study it verse by verse. We take a literal interpretation and we believe in church discipline. We believe that. And over the course of the life of our church, we have had to enact church discipline on people who were unrepentant and they were infecting the church. Evil company corrupts good habits. And when the leadership find out about it and we try to restore, we try to bring the repentance and they were rebellious, church discipline had to be enacted. Somebody with the gift of mercy would look at that and say, oh, no, no, give them another chance. Give them another chance. Not knowing that we gave them 100 chances already. And we already tried. And we go, well, if you gave them 100. Some of you right now, you think, well, if you gave them 100, give them 101. Give them 102. And like there comes a time where you need to learn that 
it may not be the most loving thing to do to keep giving chances. You may need to see that love can be firm sometimes. And it must be. God dictated that, not man. And so people with the gift of mercy get, get kind of frustrated with uh, church discipline or things that are more black and white because here's a danger. Again, I probably could have listed more out, but here's an equal danger. You start to take sides in a situation which is a grievous sin, especially if you take the side of the first person that got your ear. Do you know that's directly against the Bible? And that's what social media, if you don't, social media has re-engineered our thinking in our minds so that we just believe everything the very first time we read it. But the Bible doesn't say to do that. The Bible says the first one to plead his case sounds right until his neighbor comes and reproves him. What does the world say? The world says there's always two sides to every story. That's right. Or sometimes they even say three sides. Your side, their side, and the truth. And it's probably a mixture of both. And so people with the gift of mercy, if you get caught taking sides, then again, you're not going to be able to help somebody get to the Lord. Number four, here's another one. This, this seems to make sense. If you have the gift of mercy, you can become overly depressed and despondent. And that's why back in Romans chapter 12, the apostle, Paul, he writes to us and says, when you, when you exercise this gift, do it with cheerfulness. It's the Greek word there, hilovertis, which we get our English words a lot easier to say, hilarious. And so make sure that you're cultivating joy and happiness in your life, not just dealing with difficult things all the time. Get some outlets and, and get rest and give it a break sometimes so you can cultivate joy because you're just going to be dealing with difficult things all the time, sometimes the most difficult things. And it can get you really sad and depressed dealing with broken people all the time. Someone once said, those who bring sunshine into the lives of others cannot keep it from themselves. So even as you're encouraging others, you've got to learn how to encourage yourself. Keep strong in the Lord so you can be more usable. All these dangers and all the gifts is simply so that you remain usable. It's not, it's not okay not to be usable or to be disqualified or not be more usable or more available to the things of the Lord. And so be careful. Number five, and this is an important one. Uh, this is a danger, super important, and that is be careful that you don't become emotionally entangled with the person that you're serving. Emotionally entangled. You know, the world, it's funny how the world will, dis, will study things and discover things and some new book comes out and they, they act like they created it and they made it, but they're only discovering a truth that God already showed us. And you know, when you think of emotionally entangled, you may be more uh, familiar with emotional entanglement by the way the world describes it. And you may be surprised by this phrase, but this is where you cannot be codependent with the people that you're serving. That, that is not from the Lord. You, you cannot not only draw from them this codependence, but you can also, it is a sin to make them dependent upon you in the church of Jesus. You have got to learn to lead people past you. And, and here's the problem, and here's the challenge. Because God uses you in this way, and people receive from you in this way, it makes you feel good. You have a tendency to protect those things that make you feel good. And so because of that, God might be using it in one particular person, and, and so you're like, well, I, if I want to feel good, I want to have that person in my life all the time. And if I want to have that person in my life all the time, then I've got to do it so they stay connected to me. They stay dependent upon me so that they're only calling me for help, and they're only asking me their questions. Stop it. It's not from the Lord. You are not anyone's savior. Again, silent room, no amen. You are not anyone's savior, and neither am I. I don't want you looking to me as the only one that can help you. I don't want you looking to me as the only one that can get you to the Lord. I don't want you looking at me like, oh, I don't know what I would do without Ed. You will do just fine, probably even better. Because then you can get your eyes off a of man and get your eyes back on the Lord. You have to get people to Jesus. And if you get them all emotionally entangled, then you need them and they need you. And before you know it, it is nothing it is nothing of what God intended to exercise. You're not exercising the... I would even go far as to say this. 
If that's the kind of relationships you're developing with people, you are not exercising the spiritual gift. You are serving someone in your flesh, even if you're helping them a little bit. But I want you to consider the help. If the help is only tied to you, then what kind of help are you really giving them? You got to get them to the Lord. So God has given some men and women in the church the supernatural ability to come alongside others to help encourage, build up, and help in tough times. So let me ask you a question. How many of you believe that you have the gift of mercy? I'm going to just look around. Good, good. Thank you. Let me just say it out loud. Thank you for operating in your gift. We need your care, your compassion, the softness of your approach. There's so, and, and I would say we need it even in more multiplied ways in the coming days. As the world system and the end times are among us, the devastation of sin, there's going to be more and more wounded, hurting people that need to be introduced to Jesus. And as we close, I just... I don't want you to skim over what I said in the very beginning of this message, that the seven spiritual gifts are intended for God to reach a lost and dying world. They are not intended for us to have our little church meetings and our little church clubs, and we'll just take care of each other and don't worry about the world. That's not from the Lord. The church is here to be salt and light in a very real tangible way. And I do think that each of the gifts on their own reaches a different segment of this world. It's not intended that we close our eyes to the hurt and the pain. It's not God's intention that we get caught up in temporary things, which reminded me this week, I was reading uh, the commentary on Acts from Pastor Chuck Swindoll. It's a very simple commentary, and I read it backwards so that I read previous chapters so I stay fresh on the book of Acts from different points of views as we move forward. So I'm reading back a few chapters in this and and a couple of paragraphs jumped out so much so that I wrote a little note and I sent it to our staff for them to pray over and consider. I'm going to share it with you right now. I want you to listen. Allow the Lord to take this in. And I quote from Chuck Swindoll. The early church had no governmental protections In fact, their governments very much wanted them dead. They had no guarantee of privacy, no freedom of speech, no assurance of due process or fair hearings. They had little in the way of tangible resources. They had no political power, no impressive education. They didn't even have a complete Bible because none of the New Testament had been written yet. And this was the phrase that just stopped me from reading. It just stopped me to, I had to think about this, chew on it. He says, they had so much more working against them than we do today, yet they literally changed the world. I want you to hear that again. The early church had so much more working against them than we do today, yet they literally changed the world. And still, he says, let us not forget that these were ordinary men and women, not much different than us. And these first Christians would have been equal, would not have been equal to the challenges they faced were it not for the Holy Spirit. They conquered because they relied upon the same power that God has given us today. But you know, so much in the so many in the church today, maybe you have been going and looking at things in this world that do not give you power. You know, it's getting caught up in politics, getting caught up in, you know, money. We're going to, if we just had more money, if we just had more political power, and we just had this, enough. The Lord wants you to depend upon Him. Trust in Him. He wants you to follow Him. He wants you to look to Him. It's not all these outward trappings that people think there's power. It's all secondary. It's all little power. Of course, we're going to interact in all this world in various ways, but the power is from the Lord. And this early church, look what they did. That's us. Same Holy Spirit. I mean, we have more tools today than they had. And it seems like we have less power. We have less impact. Many corners of the world, the church has become a joke today. The the church, and what I mean by that is the people of the church. 
And so pastors, what they're doing trying to make up for that is we'll go to this seminar, we'll go to that seminar, we'll read that book. No, why don't you just repent and seek the Lord? You don't need to be reading a new book on what, how God wants to reach a city. Just pray and then look around and see where God is moving in a city. Look where the Holy Spirit is moving and then run there. Get there as fast as you can because God's already at work. We don't have to create the work. We don't have to stir up the work. We, we can just, steps of faith are like, man, I wonder if the Lord's working here. I wonder if the Lord's working here. I wonder if the Lord's there. And you're starting stepping out, like following him. Church, listen, I, I don't know. I really don't know where you are in your own walk with the Lord. But you bring that to this church, your own personal walk with the Lord. You bring this to this, it affects us. And I think in these last days, God is wanting you to get right with him. God is wanting you to deal with anything you need to deal with. He's wanting you to step in up obedience. We're not trying to build a little church here and grow a little church. We're trying to reach the world. That's our goal. We're not trying to fill the seats here. And God can do whatever he wants with the seats here. He wants to fill them. He wants to shrink them. That's his deal. We're trying to fill heaven. The people you're praying for. Your brothers, your sisters, your neighbors, your bosses. That's the church. And so let's just be, let's just be real with it. Lay our lives down before him. Live a life of sacrifice, service, and submission. And exercise your gift. That's it. Exercise your gift. Let the Lord do what he wants to do with your life. And he will. In Jesus' name. Amen? So, Father, thank you for your word and just how you want to use it in our lives. And, and I know that the exhortation didn't come out last night, but it did today. So, good. I'm glad. Stir us up, Lord. Convict us. Reveal to us. Show us. Help us, God, not to settle for less things. Help us to not settle for some man's opinion or this is what's working over there. Who cares what's working over there, Lord? What do you want to do? And what's your definition of working, progress, and success? And help us to follow you, Lord, unreservedly, without hesitation, in Jesus' name. Amen. We pray that you've been encouraged by this Bible study delivered live from the sanctuary of Calvary Church. For prayer, call us at 877-30-GRACE. That's 877-304-7223. To listen to this message in its entirety or to join us for our live stream services, visit us online at calvaryco.church or download our free Calvary Church app. Be blessed as you worship Jesus this week.